Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. Amen. I want to thank everybody that has come out the last, well, Sunday, I guess we started it. You were here Sunday, you were here Monday, you were here Tuesday, and now you're here tonight. Thank you, whatever sacrifices you've made in fasting. I've tried to make it. Whatever is your sacrifice, thank you for joining with us. It does make a difference. It's not insignificant. You didn't just miss some meals. Amen. There's a, there is a spiritual strength that's going to I believe that. I believe what we preach Monday, that consecration before wonders. I believe we should have an expectation now that there's going to be wonders. Amen. I, I, I believe we should have an expectation that there's going to be miracles on Sunday. Amen, that there's going to be people, people that you didn't even, you invited them a year ago. You forgot all about it, but they're going to walk in on Sunday. We, we should have an expectation that those things are going to happen. Because it's the principle of God's word that consecration precedes wonders. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. Sound like close to today, maybe. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And here's what he says. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Amen. I want to, whatever style of ministry it will be, I don't know, but I want to minister for a little bit tonight before we take communion on this thought, the purpose of the pitch. Amen. The purpose of the pitch. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. Amen. The purpose of the pitch as we begin reading, we know that Noah found grace in the eyes of God in the middle of a generation that was untoward, that was filled with unrighteousness and violence, that the Bible says all flesh had corrupted their way. Everybody was doing what they wanted to do, which is the mantra of the hour that we live in. Whatever feels good, do it. Amen. Whatever makes you happy, follow your heart. Those are, those are not just mantras or slogans. Those are, uh, those are messages that are heralded in today's society. But in the middle of all of that, one man found grace in the eyes of God, and that was this man Noah. And so God speaks to Noah and begins to give him the instruction on what will be the salvation of him and his family. And every measurement, every aspect of the ark of, of uh, of Noah was intentional. It was the blueprint of salvation for Noah and his family. 
the measurements were not estimations or approximations. It wasn't God saying somewhere around here or there. It was saying exactly. You need to measure this by this. These need to be the dimensions. They were exact and they were specific. The wood that was to be used was not a suggestion or a recommendation. Amen. God did not suggest to Noah that perhaps you should use this type of wood. Uh, if that doesn't work out, whatever you find at Lowe's that's you know the best price right now, you can use that. That's not what God said. It was, it was a command. In fact, the final phrase of the final verse of the sixth chapter concludes the instruction provided by God when it says this, Noah did all that God had commanded him. Not what God suggested to him, not what God kind of hinted around to him. It wasn't that. It was commanding God. This is exactly the dimensions. This is exactly the, the tools that you need to use. This is the this is the, 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 the recipes, the, the, the wood that needs to be utilized. Everything was a command from God. And one of the specific instructions that God gave to Noah that was no doubt detrimental to the saving of righteous Noah and his family comes in the 14th verse when he says, Thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Thou shalt pitch it within. So there's a couple of commands there. There's what to use. That is the pitch. And there's how to use it, and that was within and without. And I believe if Noah had deviated from one command that God gave him, that that would have been the end of humanity. If Noah would have decided, well, it doesn't need to be this long, it doesn't need to be that high, and I don't really need to use that style of wood, and it doesn't matter how many windows I put in the ark, none of that matters. I'll, do, I'll just kind of... I'll just kind of, you know, fabricate things a little bit and do it my way. I don't believe that the ark would have made it through that flood. In fact, I believe the pitch, amen, that, that was utilized, that, that if, if Noah had decided that I'm not going to do that, I'm going to skip that step, I believe that the ark would not have made it through the storm. If, if Noah would have decided, you know what, I, I'm just going to do it on the outside but not the inside or on the inside but not the outside, then I don't believe that the ark would have made it through that storm. But it was, it was Noah's obedience. In fact, Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that Noah obeyed. Amen. And we need to understand today that it is still today our obedience to God's commands that brings about salvation. Amen. It's not up to us to decide, well, I don't feel like that's necessary and I don't think I've got to do all that. No, if, if God said to do it, we just need to say, I'm going to do it. Amen. Amen. So this, I want to talk to us about the purpose of the pitch. First and most obviously, the purpose of the pitch was to keep water on the outside. Even today in the world of mariners and, and seafaring, even today they use different elements to make their uh, sea craft waterproof and to make sure that the water is not going to get on the inside of the boat. And so the first purpose of the pitch was to keep the water on the outside. And we know that after Noah and his family had entered into the ark and they shut the door, God shut the door behind them, that the Bible tells us that God caused the fountains of the deep to open up. It wasn't just rain by itself, but God caused the fountains of the deep to open and waters of destruction began to rise. Amen. Everything else on the outside of the ark, amen, everything on the outside, everything that was not inside of the ark was being destroyed by water. The only place of safety was inside of the ark. 
Amen. And that is what the pitch did. The pitch made sure that the destruction stayed on the outside of the boat. The pitch made sure that the water stayed on the outside of the ark. Amen. And I, I want to talk to the church tonight that there is still purpose in the pitch. Amen. That there's still things God has put in place to keep the, the world on the outside of the church. There's some, still some things that God has put in place. Amen. To keep destruction on the outside. Amen. It's not the will of God that your families are destroyed. Amen. But that's the purpose of the pitch. Amen. The purpose of the pitch is to make sure that the waters of this world don't make their way into our homes. And they don't make their way into our families. And they don't make their way into our churches. Amen. There is purpose in the pitch. We are watching real time. It's not, you know, here and there. It's daily things are unfolding. We're watching the consequences of sin wreak havoc in our world. We're watching it unfold right before our very eyes. Decisions that were made a long time ago when leaders began to make the decision that we're not going to put pitch on the ark any longer. When secular leaders, political leaders began to make choices, amen, that they didn't think it was necessary that we have God in our schools any longer. Sixty years ago, it was decided that prayer was not allowed in our schools. Amen. Sixty years ago, from those that lived around that time, uh, I, I've talked to some of them, and they said the biggest problem in public schools 60 years ago was teachers trying to get kids not to, not to chew bubble gum in class. Imagine teachers today, that being the biggest worry they had, was kids chewing bubble gum in class. Why? Because there was, there was pitch on the ark, and so the problems weren't what they are. But when you decide you don't need pitch on the ark any longer, the water starts coming on board. Now today we have daycare centers at schools for teenage moms that don't want to have to choose between dropping out or getting rid of their child. And so they've created daycare. That, that's not the same problems as chewing bubble gum. Now with, there's so much teenage pregnancy in our schools that we have daycare centers in our schools. We've got shootings taking place. Just at Great Mills High School a few years ago, there was a shooting. Why? Because we decided we don't need pitch on the ark. And now the consequences, the water is coming on board. We've got violent fights breaking out in our schools on a daily, regular basis. We've got drag queen shows in our schools and in our libraries. Amen. I talked to us a little bit on Monday night about holiness. Amen. I want to tell you what holiness is. Holiness standards are the pitch that keeps water on the outside of the boat. Amen. You may not like every standard that I preach as a pastor. Amen. You may feel like something. Let me tell you what I would do if I was a saint. If I went to sit under a pastor and that pastor said, I don't want you wearing red jackets, the first thing I would do is take this thing off and hang it in the closet somewhere because I want to be in submission to the man of God that is leading me. I may not agree with it. But I trust that man, his job is to keep the water on the outside of the boat. And if that's what it takes for me to be safe, then I'm going to be submitted to the man of God. Holiness standards 
are the pitch that keeps the water on the outside of the boat. Did you know a hundred years ago, and I'm, I'm just, I'm pastor tonight, and if we have guests here, understand I'm preaching to living hope. I'm preaching to saints of this church. But a hundred years ago, it wasn't just the Pentecostals that preached that women should not wear pants. It was the Nazarenes and the Baptists. It was everybody that preached that. Because they understood you got to keep the water on the outside of the boat. Because if you start letting that down, if you start letting, it's not going to be too long before genders start being blurred. And you're not going to know what a man is and what a woman is. Let me tell you, that didn't just start recently. That started a long time ago when we stopped putting pitch on the ark. I'm not condemning anybody, but I'm telling you, we're not letting down on our standards in this church. We're not letting down on holiness. Why? Because I don't want the devil getting into your home, and I don't want the devil getting into your family, and I don't want the devil getting into this church. And so we're going to preach that a woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, and a man should not wear that which pertaineth unto a woman. Listen, you can say, well, pastor, I don't think that's really necessary, but I know what happens next is you call me on the phone. And pastor, can you throw me a life preserver? There's water on the inside of the boat. My children are struggling with their gender. My children are struggling with their sexual desires. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened is you didn't put pitch on the boat. Amen. We got to put pitch within and without. I'm not trying to cater to this world. I'm not trying to please this world. Amen. I want to be pleasing unto him. And I want my family to be saved. And I want your family to be saved. And holiness. You may not like holiness. And you can go anywhere else in this community and find you a church that doesn't preach it. I think we're one of the last that do. But we're not letting down on holiness. Because the purpose of the pitch is to keep the water on the outside of the boat. The purpose of the pitch is to keep the devil out of the church. To keep the devil out of your home. To keep the devil out of your family. Amen. So you better learn to love holiness. Because without holiness no man shall see the Lord. I know there are people that look at us. They look at the way we dress. They look at the way we talk, our lifestyle. They mock us. They laugh at us. How do you work out in a skirt that is so old-fashioned? You don't, what do you mean? You don't drink? What do you mean? You don't smoke weed? Amen. Let me tell you, Noah's neighbors laughed at him too uh, until the water started rising. Uh, amen. Until the water started rising and then everybody figured out Noah had it right all along. Uh, amen. I want to tell you, saints, uh, don't let down on your standard. Uh, amen. Don't start acquiescing to this world uh, because sooner or later the water is going to start rising. Uh, and without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is there for your protection. Holiness is there for your protection. It's not just to keep you in the church. It's to keep the devil out of the church. It's to keep destruction of sin out of your family. It's to keep the destruction of sin out of your home. Amen. I know that the argument against having a holiness standard is that it's legalism. In the book, in his book, Pursuit of Holiness, Bishop David Bernard defines legalism as a strict or excessive conformity 
to a legal code or set of rules. He goes on to further explain, in a Christian context, legalism has two negative connotations. First of all, to attempt to base salvation on the performance of good works or the strict observance of rules and regulations. In other words, if I told you that you need to dress a certain way in order to earn salvation, that's legalism. Amen? If I told you that not watching rated R movies was what you needed to do in order to be saved, that's legalism. Or rated X, it doesn't matter what the rating is. Amen? If I told you that not smoking weed, that's how you get saved, is not smoking weed, that's legalism. That's telling you that your works are what saves you. Secondly, imposing rules on self and others that are not based on clear biblical teachings or principles. We are guilty of legalism if we imply that a person attains salvation by his works or if we preach rules without principle. In other words, if I say that you... If, so let's take, for example, uh, uh, wearing that which pertains to a man. The, the principle that is there is God wanted there to be a distinction between genders. That's the principle that is there. There's two principles when we talk about our attire. The first is gender identity, and the second is modesty. I know, I know women, that, that, well, I, just, I, just, I won't say that. It's possible, I'll just say it this way, to wear, to wear a dress, amen, that covers the gender aspect of it, but it's so tight that it don't leave nothing to the imagination. And that ain't pleasing to God either. All right, it needs to be both. It, it, it needs to be pleasing to God. It needs to be modest. And it needs to identify that you're either a man or you're a woman. That need, that, 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 those are principles that are in the Word of God. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. They're not, it's not my Bible. It ain't my Word. It's God's. But let's just suppose right now that 100 years ago all the churches hadn't started letting down on distinction of gender in dress. I guarantee you we wouldn't be where we're at in our world right now. There wouldn't be all this confusion mess when my child doesn't know what they are yet. And that's, that ain't nothing but confusion. Don't start sympathizing on that stuff. You can pray for people that don't you, don't you start sympathizing. That's, that's a lie out of hell. It's nothing but confusion. That's all it is is confusion. And you can, you can shut the door on that by not introducing confusion, by making it clear. I know I'm a man or I know I'm a woman, and I want the world, I want everybody to know I know what I am. The position of the Scripture and of this church is not that your good works, not the way you talk, not the way you dress, not the way that you live, none of those are going to save you. That's not how you get saved. That's not what saves you. That's not how you get salvation. It is the grace of Jesus Christ that saves, and it's your faith in him that saves you. However, true salvation will always lead to, well, I'm saved, but I'm still racist. No, you ain't saved then. Well, I got the Holy Ghost, but I just have a problem with pornography. You need to get the Holy Ghost again. Because the Holy Ghost will always lead you to good works. True salvation. When you've repented and the old man has died and you've been baptized and buried that old man. And you receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Walking in newness of life. That's going to produce holy living. So all of my good works are not what saves me. But because I'm saved, I do good works. 
The way I dress is not what saves me, but because I'm saved, it controls the way I dress. Where I go is not what saves me, but because I'm saved, it determines where I go. You understand how that works? It's not my good works that save me, but because I'm saved, I'm saved unto good works. And we're not going to apologize for that living hope. We're going to keep the water on the outside of the ark. We're going to keep the water on the outside so your families can be saved. We're not helping anybody if we bring them on the boat and then we let the water in. We're not helping anybody. Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. That's what the grace of God that saved us does. Now that we're saved, it teaches us that we should deny ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus 3 and 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou have affirmed constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. James chapter 2, verse 24 through 26 you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out and that, that was her work. Amen. Her, her, her faith that these were good men, that these were righteous men. Amen. But it was her works that she, that she, sent, the, that she sent the other men out. That was, it was her faith and the works together that saved her. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Don't buy in to the deceptive lie of the enemy in this hour that says grace glosses over sin, that God God doesn't care how you live, that God doesn't care how you dress, that God doesn't care how you wear. That That is lasciviousness. That is a deceitful lie of the enemy. God does care. Amen. That's why I put the Holy Ghost in you so that it will lead you unto good works. purpose of the pitch is to keep the water on the outside. The second purpose of the pitch is to limit destruction on the inside. Just as probably common sense, when I said pitch, you know that the purpose of that is to waterproof the ark. However, recent tests performed by such secular shows as Mythbusters and another one called Smash Lab, I I don't even know what these are, but the study that I did revealed Uh, that these tests were done that demonstrated that substances such as pitch that lined the ark so that they took substances that were similar to the pitch and they lined various structures with that pitch. And what they found is not only did it make the ark waterproof, but it also made the ark impact resistant. I saw one where they painted this, this construct, this building this small building this that was made out of plywood that the first they put this c4 dynamite explosive on the outside without the pitch on it and they exploded that and everything was blown to pieces they had a little uh, mannequin on the inside and his head blew off it was a bad day for mr dummy 
Well, then they took that same structure and they, they lined it with pitch inside and outside. And, and they put that dynamite over there and they lit it off again. And this time, nothing happened. There was a little, a little uh, burn mark on the outside of that structure. But the, the, the little dummy on the inside had a good day that day. His head didn't even rock to the side. He was just still sitting there looking straight ahead. Amen. That, that, the second purpose of the pitch is to limit destruction from the inside. Amen. Yes, it's to keep the water off that comes from the outside. Amen. But God didn't just say to Noah, put the pitch on the outside. He said, you got to put the pitch on the inside as well. Because it's not just the enemy trying to come from without that can destroy you. It's also the enemy coming from within that can destroy you. I'm certain there was a good amount of impact on the outside of that boat. I mean, you got to imagine mountains are being covered. There, there were trees floating around and all kinds of debris that was floating around that the ark was undoubtedly bumping into. And the pitch on the outside helped to protect it. But on the inside, you've got, you've got a couple of hippos down there. I don't know if you all seen a hippo lately. Amen, they, didn't, they, they need a fast. They, they ain't been fasting. They, they've been splurging on the, on the meals. And you got the elephants and the rhinos. I mean, you got some big animals. And, and figures tell us, if you, if you do the math, that Noah and his family, everybody said, well, they were on the ark for 40 days and 40, no, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. They were on the ark together for about 370 days. 370 days with Mr. and Mrs. Hippo and Mr. and Mrs. Elephant and, and, and rhinos and all these animals. And, hey, man, can you just imagine what the atmosphere on that boat would have been like? Five Five months out of that 377 days, the water was still, the earth was still covered by water. Five months of that boat rocking back and forth. Yeah, can you all imagine that? Amen. I, go, I used to go out with Brother Roberts on the boat about two hours. I was like, check, please. That's good enough for me. Two hours, I'm done. But, but, but for five months, they're out there, and that boat is violently rocking back and forth. Uh, undoubtedly, those animals are, are frustrated. Undoubtedly, they're, they're tired of being caged in, uh, and they're kicking against the walls of that ark, and they're kicking against the stalls that they're being held of, uh, that they're being held in. Uh, amen. But God had told Noah beforehand, make sure you line the ark within and without with pitch, uh, because it's not just the enemy that's going to attack from outside that can destroy the church. It's also the enemy that wants to get within that can destroy the church not all destruction comes from without there is also destruction that comes from within time and time again the epistles or the letters that were written to the New Testament churches deal with issues that took place within the church. It wasn't Paul talking about the immorality of the world. It wasn't Paul talking about what was going on in politics. No, Paul was saying in the church there's division. In the church there's strife. In the church there's sexual immorality. In fact, in one place he says, you guys got stuff going on that not even the Gentiles would do. One of you is married to your dad's wife. I don't know. To me, that's that's his mind. I don't know. Anyway, Paul is saying not even the Gentiles would do that mess. But Paul was talking about stuff going on inside the church. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in the 16th chapter, verses 17 and 18. And he said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 
But say avoid them. Well, pastor, you you got to be a little nice. They, 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 don't, they don't, you know, you got to be nice, pastor. They, they don't really mean it. Paul said you need to mark those among you that are causing division and you need to avoid them because these people do not serve. If people can come into the body of Christ and intentionally begin to divide and separate the people of God, they do not serve Christ, but they serve their own appetites. They Listen, if you're serving the Lord and and you're doing something out of line, guess what? God will convict you and you'll submit to that conviction and you'll get in alignment. But here's what Paul said about workers of division. They serve their own appetite. They smooth talk and they flatter and they deceive the hearts of the naive. It's all about them, in other words. It's about me. I've got to have my position. I've got to have my voice heard. And Paul said you need to put a mark on them and you need to avoid them. Amen. What was he doing? and he was saying what Noah said you need to line the ark within you need to put pitch on the inside because it's not just the water on the outside but it's the impact on the inside destruction that comes from within is the responsibility of the pastor it's his calling this is why Paul writes to Timothy the pastor over the church at Ephesus In the final chapter of his final letter, he charges him, 2 Timothy 4 and 2. He says, preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. And then there's a semicolon after that, meaning what comes after is describing what went before. He says, this is the kind of preaching that you're going to have to do, Timothy, if you're going to make sure the destruction on the inside doesn't take down the church. You're going to have to reprove. That's the first thing. that The quality of your preaching, Timothy, is there's got to be, it can't be seeker-friendly preaching every Sunday where you just tell people how to live their best life now, where you just get up and give people seven steps to a better you. No, he said, Timothy, if you're going to make sure that the boat stays afloat, if you're going to make sure that your family obtains the promise on the other side of the flood, then there's got to be some qualities in your preaching. And the first quality is you've got to reprove. What does it mean to reprove? It means you need to expose sin. Amen. You've got to preach some heavy preaching, Timothy. You've got, there's got to be conviction. I don't want to go to a church where they preach conviction. Then, you, then, then you're not going to a church that's going to get you to heaven. Uh, because Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, if you're going to help people make it, uh, then you got to reprove. Uh, you got to get up there and expose sin. Uh, you got to get up there and bring conviction. Uh, don't just tell people what they want to hear, but tell them what they need to hear to be saved. Well, I just feel like we should feel better when we leave. Oh, you will feel better if you come and repent. You will feel better if you come and lay that sin at the altar. But you don't need some preacher to fluff you up. You don't need a preacher to scratch your ears. You need a preacher that will get up and preach the word of God and reprove. The second quality, Timothy, that needs to be in your preaching is you need to rebuke. The word rebuke means to admonish or warn forcefully. Timothy, don't be playing patty cake on Sunday morning. Amen. It's Wednesday night, a consecration service. Timothy, don't you get up there in front of those people and tell them that sin is okay. Don't you get in front of those people and tell them that they don't need to come to church and still make it to heaven. No, you need to get in front of them and admonish them. You need to warn them forcefully. Amen. you got to be in the 
the body of Christ if you're going to make it to heaven. You need to put away the things of this flesh. You need to turn away from sin if you're going to be saved. Pastor, I feel like you're being too harsh. I know you might think that, but I'm just trying to put pitch on the inside of the ark. I'm trying to make sure that division doesn't split this church down the middle. I'm trying to make sure that immorality doesn't creep in. I'm trying to make sure that perversion doesn't make its way in. And then he says, the third quality of your preaching, Timothy, is you need to exhort. The word exhort literally means to call to one side. It literally means to call to one side. So if I were to exhort Josh, if I'm walking here, I would say, Josh, come walk beside me. And Josh would do that because Josh is a good saint. Thank you, Josh. That's exhortation. Exhortation is saying I've got to challenge you not to stay where you are, but come up here. Come on, come up. Stop living back there and get up here. Amen. To urge them, to admonish them. Amen. It's to earnest, listen, it's to earnestly encourage a response, or and that's why I preach the way I do. And I know again, it, it probably gets on your nerves sometimes when, when Sunday service or maybe Wednesday night and you've been fasting for three days is going a little long, and you're like, I want to get out of here, but but here's Pastor again trying to get me down to it. That's what I'm called to do. I'm called to challenge you. I'm called to get you to make a response to the word of God. I'm called to get you to take an action. I'm not doing my job if I just sit here and preach a pretty little uh, sermon and let you sit there and nothing is changing in your life. I'm not doing what I was called to do. I've got to line the ark without and within. I've got to urge you, come on, Josh, get up here with me. Come on, there's more. God has more for you. Come on, let's walk together. I'm trying to urge some of you. I'm trying to exhort you. God has more for you than where you're living. He says, do it with all long-suffering. In other words, be patient. Don't, don't stop. If they don't respond the first time, don't quit. If they don't respond the second time, don't give up. If you rebuke them and they just keep going on in their sin, don't quit. Don't, but, but don't compromise either. Don't stop preaching it. Just because they don't like it or they don't believe it or they don't want to listen to it, don't you stop. You just keep on. Timothy, you better keep on. Uh, Amen. The first time you say, come here, Josh, and he doesn't come, you just keep on saying it. One day it's going to click and and, and they're going to come running up there with you, Timothy. But you can't stop. you got to keep on doing it. You may not always agree with decisions that are made. You may not always understand decisions that are made. But you don't always see what I see and you don't always know what I know. And the purpose of the pitch, yes, it's to make sure the water stays on the outside. But it's also to make sure that the, that the impact is limited on the inside. Hallelujah. And the final purpose of the pitch he said, no, align the ark with pitch and without and within. Stand with me if you would. Ushers, elders, rather, you can get ready with the communion. He says, line the ark with pitch within, without and within. Attacks are going to come. They're going to come from without. As we get closer to the coming of the Lord, the attacks against the church are going to increase. We better make sure that this ark is lined without and the attacks are going to come from within. 
The pitch is going to make sure that the water stays on the outside and that you aren't destroyed from the impact on the inside. But it's not just about that. It's not just about keeping the water on the outside. It's not just about making sure the boat doesn't fall apart. Amen. God wasn't saying, no, align it because I made this impressive boat and it took you 100 years to build it and I'd, I'd hate to see that gopher wood get splintered. No, it wasn't about the boat. The, the final purpose of the pitch and the greatest purpose of the pitch is preserving the life that was within. It's not just about making sure the boat doesn't splinter and fall into pieces. It's not about making sure water doesn't get on the boat and that beautiful craft that was God-ordained doesn't sink to the bottom of the ocean. No, that wasn't it. It was that there, were, there was a family of seven on board that boat. And God said, Timothy, Noah, you got to line that boat without and within because the, 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 my creation, humanity, is on board that boat. Amen. It's to preserve life. Amen. Listen, the reason that we preach holiness, the reason that this church is not going to let down on holiness is not just so we can raise our hands and say, ooh, look at us, we're a holiness church. Not just so we can thumb our nose. It's not at all. In fact, not just, not at all. So we can thumb our noses and say, we're better than other churches. That's not it at all. That's not what holiness is. That's not why we preach it. But the reason that we preach holiness is because we're trying to preserve life. Amen. Because I want your families to rise up and be blessed. Amen. Because I want sin on the outside of your home. I don't want you to have to deal with the perversion that is destroying our world right now. It's because I want us as a body, the body of Christ, I want us to be healthy. And if I let down, I, I say, Pastor, no, you're exaggerating. I'm not. Okay, I, I, You know, for, for years I've kind of battled this. I'm a young guy. I'm not a young guy anymore. I'm not a novice. I've been pastoring 15 years now. So I can put the rookie card away. I've got, I've got a resume now. Not that I'm trying to impress anybody. But I don't have to apologize for being a new preacher anymore. I've been around long enough and I've seen it happen. When people, when pastors and churches start letting down on holiness... It, 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 it doesn't just change the way the church looks. All kinds of stuff starts getting in. Amen. Sexual immorality that you thought would never get into the church starts creeping its way in. And you might think, well, for my family, it's not that big of a deal. We'll get by with it. It's no big. And your family's going to start letting things slide by that you wouldn't let slide by before. Things are going to get in. I am imploring you. I know what I'm going to do as the pastor of this church. Amen. Is we're going to line this boat with pitch within and without. But I am imploring you as dad and mom. I'm imploring you as a husband. I'm imploring you right now. I can do it for this church but you've got to do it for your family you've got to make that decision for your home and tonight I'm rededicating this church to holiness I'm rededicating this church to holiness as a pastor I'm recommitting to you that I'm going to reprove I'm going to reprove every sermon that I preach I'm reproving I'm rebuking, and I'm exhorting. I'm not playing patty cakes up here preaching. I'm not trying to get in your top five of best sermons you've ever heard. I'm reaching for a soul. I'm trying to find somebody out there that's living below their means, that's living below their calling. I'm trying to make sure that hell stays on the outside of this building. I'm trying to make sure that hell stays outside of your family. And it ain't time to play patty cake. It's time to preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season.
told you at the beginning of the year that our first focus was going to be the church family. Before we can ever reach out there, what good does it do if we bring them in and we're full of water in here? And a couple mules kicked a hole in the side of the boat. Now there's water coming in. Come on, come on. But ain't no different in here than it was out there. Why do I want to come in here? But before we can start reaching out there, we got to make sure we're good in here. We got to make sure there's no division among us. We got to make sure we're marching in unity. We got to make sure there's no strife. We got to make sure there's no gossip, there's no backbiting. We got to make sure, amen, for sure, we got to make sure there's no prejudice, no racism, no hatred in here. I know it's all, the, all over out there, but it ought not be in here. The Bible tells us Jesus gave his life. He laid down his life. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ laid down his life for the church. For the church. That's us. He laid down his life for this, for the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when you, uh, when we're starting to make preparation for taking communion, as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul begins in verse 18, before he leads into the discourse of the Lord's Supper, he starts by addressing division that is within the church. Paul says, look, before we take the Lord's body, before we take the Lord's Supper, we need to address, there's, we, we, need to lie, we need to put a, layer, a, a pitch here because there's the vision that's making its way into the church. He goes on to talk about their sharing of the Lord's Supper together. He challenges them saying, you missed the whole point of what this supper is supposed to be about. He says, some of you fast for three days and then show up to the Lord's Supper and you eat and eat and eat and you don't even think about the people around you. You just eat until you're full and then you go. Probably what we would all done tonight. But see... Communion for us, we're going to pass it out here in just a moment, is a wafer in a little cup that is not going to meet. You're going to have been fasting three days. It ain't going to do the deal, right? You're going to need more after that. But in Paul's day, it was an entire meal. They would all come together, and it was an entire meal. They would all sit down together, and they would break bread together. It was, it was, a, it was a, a sacrament. It was a religious occasion. And, and what was happening was that when they got together, they would sit down together and break bread and they would eat and they would fellowship and they would be reminded that we together have partaken in his suffering. We together have died with Christ. We are partners with Christ. Amen. All of us together, we're all in this together. But Paul said, that's not what you're doing. You're just coming and eating. You're, you're not even thinking about each other. You're not even thinking about the body. You're just thinking about your own appetite. He said, you're missing the whole point goes on in verse 27 he says wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body that's us it wasn't just talking about the body hanged on a tree and beaten with a whip and, and laid in a grave. That's, he was talking about the body of Christ. He said, that's what you guys are doing. You're coming and you're just eating your little meal and then going on your way, but you're not thinking about the fact that this is a 
all of us together. This is a sacred moment where Angelita, I can look across the table at you and say we're on the same page. Come on, we're in the Lord's body together. We're in unity together. There's no division here. When you take communion, there's no division. We're all one in the body of Christ. Communion tonight, elders help me begin to pass it out, is not about the contents. It's not about the size of the portions of the cup of the bread that we hold. Again, in Paul's day, this would have been a platter full of food, which I would have preferred tonight. But it's not about the contents, the size. Yes, they're symbolic of his body and his blood. But that wasn't the point. It was remembering that we all, Jasmine, my sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus and your sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus. And Shaq, I was redeemed by the broken body of Christ and you were redeemed by the broken body. All of us, the symbol of communion was not just about observing what they drank and what they ate, but it was that we all together, it's about unity. And when Paul said that some of you are taking communion unworthily because you're not discerning the Lord's body. He was saying, you're out of fellowship. You're out of fellowship. There, there's, you're not in unity with the body. There's division. There's strife. So I want us to pray. I want us to line, before we take communion right now, I want us to line this boat one more time. It can't just be me saying I'm committed to holiness. It's got to be a church rising up saying, Pastor, we're with you. Pastor, we're with you, God. We want holiness, Pastor. Pastor, we want you to preach holiness. We want a holiness standard in this church. God, we want a holiness standard in our homes. We want the water to stay on the outside. Come on. I've seen church, I've seen pastors cave because they tried and tried and tried on their own, but nobody was with them. Thank God that's not what this church is, but I believe if we will continue on, uh, hallelujah, I know on the old ark the door never opened and nobody else was let in, but this is the, this is the dispensation of grace, uh, and the difference is the door is still open, uh, and if we'll all keep rowing together, and if we'll all keep pulling together, amen, we're going to be able to open the doors and invite coworkers and neighbors and friends in, but we're going to keep the water on the outside. Lord, I pray against every spirit of division. I pray against every deceptive work of the enemy that would try to bring division into this church family. I pray against every voice of strife, God, that would try to put brother against brother, sister against sister, God, that would try to bring division into this church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are all partakers. Hallelujah, we are all partakers of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all in communion together. We are all saved by the pitch on the inside and the outside of this boat. We are all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are all saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. I want you, before we take communion, I want to ask you, I want you to find somebody, a brother to a brother, not your dad, not your brother, somebody Outside of your family line, I want you to get a brother with a brother, and I want you to pray with one another, sister with a sister. Hallelujah. Come on, living hope. Unity. We need unity. We need togetherness like never before. I'm telling you, this world is doing everything it can. The floods of this world are raging like never before. 
The enemy is doing everything he can to get on the boat, to get, to get into your home, to get into your family. He's doing everything he can to overthrow the church, to undermine the pastor. He's doing everything he can. But come on, we've got to stand together in this hour. We've got to be unified like never before. We've all got one thing in common. The blood of Jesus has washed us. We've all got one thing in common. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved. And by that saving work, God, I'm gonna, it's going to lead me unto good works. Oh, God, unify us tonight, Lord. Unify us. Bring unity into this church, oh, God. Let there be no hint of racism in this church. Let there be no hint of prejudice in this church. God, let there be no whispers of backbiting or grumbling or gossiping in this church. Oh, God, let us prefer one another. Let us submit ourselves unto one another. Yes, God, let us love one another with the perfect love of Jesus Christ. And this cup that we're about to take, God, it's what brings us all together. It's the common factor that we all have in common, that Jesus, that what he did at Calvary 2,000 years ago, that's what unifies us. Come on, we may have different political opinions. We may, we may come from different cultures and backgrounds. But what unifies us is this cup and this bread. And I love you, I love you, I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Come on, brother, I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Come on, my sister, I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be lost. I don't want you to be on the outside of the boat. I don't want you to be destroyed by the things that are going outside of this ark. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to... We're going to finish up this week of consecration. I feel the Holy Ghost, just a sweet presence of God here right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you for what you've done here this week. I thank you, Lord, as we prepare to conclude this week of consecration by the one thing that brings us all together in unity, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Give me a moment to turn there. Amen. Verse 23, I'll begin reading. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, I'm trying to time this right, hold on. I tell you what, before I finish reading verse 24, let's get the bread ready. If you have your bread ready, just kind of hold that up so I can see where we're at. I was the last one. All right. Thank you all for being patient with me. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Hallelujah. Which is broken for you, all of us, in fellowship, all of us. This do ye in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. 
Thank you for the people of God that make me better. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken. In Jesus' name, verse 26, 25, rather, after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's take the, the cup together. Now let's thank him. Jesus, we thank you tonight. Let's thank him for his body that was broken, and let's thank him for this church body. Lord, I thank you for your body that was broken. And I thank you tonight that I can take this communion and fellowship. I thank you that I can take this communion and fellowship, Lord, with friends, God, and family members, Lord, with my brothers and my sisters, Lord. God, we don't have everything in this world in common, but God, we do have the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. We do have the blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. Hallelujah. That every one of us in this room have a testimony, God, of how we once were lost in sin. Hallelujah, God, how our sins had overtaken us, but Jesus, you came and you rescued me, Lord, and we have that in common tonight. Hallelujah, that we have been quickened, that we have been made alive. Yes, Lord, that we have been made alive by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Can we thank him for unity right now? Can we just pray unity over this church? I pray unity right now. Hallelujah. I pray unity. I know earlier we bound division and we prayed against strife, but right now I just want us to lose unity. I want us to lose brotherly love. Hallelujah, God. Give us love for one another, Lord. Give us compassion for one another, oh God. Hallelujah. Give us grace for one another, oh Lord. God, let us not be in competition with one another, Lord, but let us strengthen one another, Lord. Let us provoke one another to good works. In the name of Jesus, I pray it, God. And I thank you for what you've done this week, Lord. I know that there has been consecration, and I believe wonders are coming. I believe you're going to do wonders through this body. I believe you're going to do wonders through this body. God, they're going to shake this community. And I thank you for it, Lord. Everybody said in Jesus' name. A week ago, Brad stood before me waiting for me to say the words that he could kiss his bride. Now that is multiplied by 100. You all waiting for me to say the magic words. You're dismissed. God bless you all. Amen. If you're traveling this weekend, be safe. If not, we'll see you on Sunday. The Lord bless you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.